Welcome to Political Zek, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. Back again, I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's going on, Todd? Hey, oh, hey, Corey. Slow hey. week, doldrums of summer. Yeah, that's what we got. So hopefully it'll be interesting anyway, but um, you know, maybe it's shorter than normal. But oh our God. first topic, this is big <laughs> news. Uh, this week, President Biden announced a set of changes to student loans, including canceling up to $20,000 for some borrowers. So it's uh, he's gonna he's gonna cancel ten thousand for all borrowers, and then if you have had a Pell Grant at all during your college time, then you can have twenty thousand dollars forgiven. So this will cost the federal government roughly five hundred billion. There are, there are different uh, estimates, but it's about five hundred billion what we're seeing. That announcement combined with what what Biden has already done in previous bills, COVID related, were up to around 800 billion and 750 billion of that is executive action like in other words congress didn't even have anything to say about it but anyway uh so individuals who are single and earn under one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars will qualify or if you're married two hundred fifty thousand dollars because if you're making 250k you must be hurting enough that we need to like cover your student loans so romney said uh, said it well i thought he said sad to see what's being done to bribe the voters biden's student loan forgiveness plan may win democrats some votes but it fuels inflation foots taxpayers with other people's financial obligations is unfair to those who paid their own way and creates irresponsible expectations i just want to say thank you to all you construction workers Thank you to the hospital techs who assist incontinent patients use the bathroom. Thank you to all the firemen and firewomen. Thank you, crossing guards. Thank you, McDonald's cashiers. Thank you, landscapers and restaurant servers. Two-thirds of the population without a college degree. Thanks for covering the costs of a college education so that Sam, our non-binary gender studies major, can stop worrying about their student loans. Todd, what's your thoughts on this action? Well, I mean, I think you know my thoughts because I've been tweeting about it for a couple of days. And I, I love this liberal response, um, not only to me, but, you know, to Republicans all over. Anyone who criticizes this uh, so-called loan forgiveness and nothing's being forgiven. They're just, as you've identified, they're transferring the burden to other taxpayers, many of whom don't have the benefit of a college education. They're saying, you know, people are attacking me saying, well, your employer uh, applied for a PPP loan. Okay, so the government shut down all the businesses and said, we're gonna give you money if you, uh, if you don't lay off anybody. And that ha is somehow supposed to be equivalent. Um, and I wasn't an owner of the business when that happened, by the way, I was just one of the employees. That's supposed to be equivalent to someone who went to school, bettered their economic outlook, promise to repay and then now years later they're getting forgiveness and, and i agree with you i think if there's i think that this is most vulnerable for attack because of that two hundred and fifty thousand dollar income threshold and and the democrats will counter that and say well the vast majority of this will be you know for people who earn less than seventy thousand dollars i don't know i think that's, uh, that's so why didn't you limit it yes yeah yeah but i think if they were going to do it they should tie it to the federal poverty level um, the thing about Pell Grants that you covered is very interesting to me, and maybe this is a Utah thing because we get married younger here. 
but you know, a lot of, I remember in law school, I was uh, friends with a husband and wife. They were young married. Both of them came from wealthy families and they were getting, you know, they, they were getting oh, yeah. financial assistance from the government because they were married. So their parents income didn't count. And I understand a lot of married people aren't necessarily getting help from their parents, but they're not also what you would call the, your, your typical poor. You know, there was no risk of them, you know, you know, their kids going hungry. But um, so I, I agree with uh, Romney. I think that this is motivated. So this is something that Joe Biden campaigned on two years ago, a year and a half ago. So why are they doing it now? Oh, well, maybe it's because people are going to start voting in just over a month on the midterm elections. And um, let me tell you, you said the cost is $500 billion. I'm going to disagree with you. I think the cost is zero because I think next year, after the midterm elections, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to overturn this. Mm-hmm. They're going to say that this is an abuse of uh, executive authority. And then, uh, you know, some Republicans are getting accused of going ballistic. You want to see people go ballistic. Um, watch when $10,000 gets added back. Now, I, I last thing I'll say, Corey, is I do think that our party is overplaying the inflationary impact. And I'll tell you why. Um, if someone owes $60,000 and uh, Biden forgives 10000 of that, they're still going to start making payments next, next month uh, on, the, on the other 50. Okay, so only the people that owe 10000 or less, less are going to not make a payment in October and November and December. And we haven't had these payments being made, you know, for the last two and a half years anyways, because of COVID. So I don't think that there's an immediate inflationary impact. Now, over the next decade, sure, but I'm hoping, you know, that, you know, this inflation that we've been feeling for the last year now, I'm I'm hoping that that's going to resolve itself, at least if not before, but at least with the 2024 presidential elections. Well, the strongest argument for the inflationary effects of this has actually been made by Obama's former chief economist, Jason. I've heard him. I've heard a guy who is not uh, conservative in any way, shape or form. He's very much a progressive economist. And, you know, he he made the the obvious case, which is that, you know, what's going to happen is it is immediately inflationary in the sense that uh, schools are going to increase their tuition. I agree with that. They know they're not going to have to pay. And one piece of this that's getting missed is the income driven repayment. So there's a there's a federal program that if you pay uh, 10 percent of your of your of your income over the federal poverty level. Um, so basically over uh, 30,000, every, uh, you know, 10% over $30,000, that's what you have to pay every year. And if you still owe something after 20 years, then it's forgiven. But what he's done with this bill or with this executive action is drop that to 5%. So if you make $50,000, uh, regardless of how much money you took out for school, you're only going to have to pay about 25,000 back over the course, course of 20 years. If you made a hundred, make a hundred thousand dollars, then even over the over, over the course of twenty years, you know you're only going to have to pay back around seventy thousand, which sounds like a huge number, and it is. But for the a lot of these private schools, seventy thousand is what you'll pay for one year if you count uh, room and board and tuition. So it just gives license to these private schools to to just fleece our children even more. And they can raise it because the marginal dollar they know will not be paid back because yeah. with this new program, essentially everyone knows, hey, look, more or less, regardless of how much I make, my payback is capped at this. 
And yeah. so everything over that is just gravy that the, that the federal government is going to eat. In other well, words, the construction workers and the hospital techs and McDonald's cashiers sure. and the restaurant servers are all going to have to pay it. And so what's happened really is it's given license for these schools to go ahead and pocket the money to hire some more woke administrators so they can police our pronouns and mask wearing. I mean, this is not a joke. This is dead serious. And so even uh, Jason Furman is saying that, uh, you know, over the course of the next several years, it's going to in increase inflation um, by about uh, uh, 50 basis points, which is not nothing. I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it means more expensive meat. It means more expensive gas. So I'm not saying you're completely wrong that it's, uh, you know, maybe we're not going to see it immediately, but there will be an inflationary effect. And you can guarantee that the schools who are the biggest uh, culprits in all of this, I mean, come on, I think you could find uh, about 100% of Americans agree that uh, if we crack down on the schools that are way overcharging and these government loan programs that allow you to borrow to the moon, if you get graduate loans for your law degree, there is no limit on how much money you can take out. And so what happens is these schools, we're not talking about Harvard and Yale. They, yeah, they're going to fleece you, but yeah, you, but you're going to get the money back. But even the third tier like garbage uh, law school that's not even going to get you a job is charging the same amount, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year for tuition. That's that's a fact times three. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no limit to how much you can borrow. And then uh, Uncle Sam's going to turn around and basically forgive it. So that's what we're facing right now. And it's giving the yeah. license to do whatever they want. If you go back 40 years and look at the inflationary effect of um, the salaries for college administrators and college professors, it's like three or four times uh, the inflation in any other industry. And if you look at the number of administrators, you know, per capita for the students, it's it's all it's all out of whack. Um, and it's all because of it's all because of the the free money that people can get and then, you know, never have to pay back ostensibly. So I agree with you there. Okay. So uh, our next topic, the czar of COVID Anthony Fauci has announced that he will retire at the end of this year. He's 81 years old and he's worked at the National Institutes of Health since 1968. That's over 50 years. So, I mean, actually, that's quite a while. But he will receive a pension in the neighborhood of $350,000 per year, paid for by our tax dollars. I'm not even sure how that's possible, but he currently makes over 400000 He makes like $430,000 a year as a federal employee. That's more than the president makes. So, good grief. Todd, it seems pretty clear that Fauci does not want to face a Republican Congress next year. He doesn't want his butt in the seat because they're going to call him up. Democrats have spent the last two and a half years basically fawning all over him and, and uh, telling him he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I don't, I'm not sure that a Republican majority is going to treat him quite the same way. What are your thoughts yeah. on Fauci's retirement? Well, I, I don't think his resignation is going to allow him to escape scrutiny and you know, um, it's not just COVID that I think he mishandled, but it goes all the way back to the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s. And he's just um, fallen up every every time. It's it's amazing. <laughs> uh, but I mean, on COVID, it's it's almost it's not even a fun game, but you can find 
a Dr. Fauci quote on either side of any issue. You know, yeah. um, he he did ask for the shutdown. He didn't ask for the shutdown. Um, masks are useless. Masks, you know, will save your life. If you take the vaccination, you won't get COVID. If you take the vaccination, you will get still get COVID. I mean, he in just a matter of two years, he's flip flopped. I mean, we remember when John Kerry was a candidate for president. People were, you know, Republicans were carrying flip flops um, uh, outside the convention. I mean, Dr. Fauci and is the biggest flip flopper we've ever seen. And and more importantly, his quotes, you know, I am science, and you know, I am you know, I am Mr. Integrity and everything else. He, uh, the, the huge portrait he has in his home office of his face is just, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, when I saw people on the right attacking Fauci, I really didn't understand it. I'm like, hey, come on, this guy's just doing his job. He's trying to help. But I understand it now. I think he's an egomaniac. I mean, I also think Trump's an egomaniac, just to be fair. But I do think that, um um, he does have a cult-like following of liberals, um, and I don't know that he's done us any good. I mean, uh, I, I don't think he's the most evil person in the world, but I do think he's one of the most arrogant. I don't know that we've seen a bureaucrat take on such a high profile, at least not in my lifetime. And well, Throwing out the pitch at a professional baseball game, come on. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, at the beginning you know, things were scary and they were uh, uncertain and we didn't know what to expect. And, and here's a guy who stood up and acted like he knew what he, what he was doing. And so that was reassuring to an extent. And even Trump like put him out there. But I mean, to, to your point about the flip-flopping, it began with uh, the noble lie about masks. You know, he came out right away and said, there's no reason to be uh, walking around wearing a mask. It doesn't do you any good. And it turns out like, he was, you know, it was the noble eye because he wanted to, I guess, spare them for, for hospitals. But, you know, he, he couldn't come out and just say, hey, look, hospital personnel need these because I guess, you know, we weren't we, we, we weren't prepared to deal with that kind of like, you know. But anyway, in moving on from there, you know, then he declares that every child has to be masked uh, or you're going to die. And of course, you know, there's no proof of that whatsoever. Um yeah, he called for the shutdown of America. Then now he says he didn't say that. And, you know, I, I think it's worth adding to the uh, the Wuhan lab, NIH um, funding, his involvement. Gain of function. In gain of function. With, yeah, gain of function research, something that you and I talked about last year on a podcast. And, and he denied that any of that ever happened. And of course it did. And why? Like, and, and again, like, like you said, he said, uh, you know, anyone who criticizes me criticizes science because I represent science. I am science. And it's just kind of like this little Nero complex that's, you know, a guy who probably started out, uh, had a lot of goodwill with Americans who were scared and wondering, you know, what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, that was his 15 minutes of fame and he took it by, I mean, I, I fully expect Republicans will, will, will call him in for, for inquiry um it won't be i mean if, if he were still with nih he'd be coming like every other week for you know almost every committee he won't come as many times but he'll still have to come up and i think great because he has a lot to answer for but the republicans have to get the majority in the house or the senator both yeah, to, right. to do that right. 
And, right. you know, as confident as we were two months ago, it looks like, you know, numbers are starting to slip. And it does look like that that uh, Dobbs decision on abortion has, you know, invigorated some independents to swing back to the Democratic side of the aisle. Yeah, and we'll see how this all shakes out. I mean, I, I, I'm still fairly confident Republicans will retake the House, may not yeah. get the margins that, uh, that, that, you know, hope for. But um, the Senate is well, another they, question. They and I think up. the Senate. I think the Senate has a lot less to do with Dobbs and a lot more to do with uh, the candidates that, that we've selected. And yeah, and, uh, it's, so we'll have to have a show talking about those, but it's disappointing who we have. Or what we, we only need to pick up four or five seats to take the house, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. But the Senate, uh, I mean, the Senate's looking a lot more favorable to Republicans uh, in 2024 uh, yeah. than it is in 2022. We still, we still may pick up a majority, but We've got some candidates, uh, I think, with questionable credentials in a, in a couple of key races. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I still think Republicans will do pretty well in the midterms. But um, I, I just I love how the media has kind of turned now and said, oh, Biden's wonderful and everyone's yeah. going to vote Democrat now. So, well, I mean, I, honestly, this is good because uh, I think Republicans were getting a little too overconfident. And uh, and now, you know, They're polling changes and things yeah. shift and. And now uh, Democrats are getting way overconfident, and now we're getting s- story after story in in, uh, in mainstream media about how actually maybe Democrats could pull it out and keep the House. Yeah, we ain't which, going to. So that's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, the Washington Post had a headline news story today. It wasn't opinion; it was news, and it was all citing unnamed sources saying that you know, yeah, we think that. Democrats could keep the house. Well, if you think that, then put your name on it, darn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always suspicious when every every person quoted is an unnamed source because they they can't speak publicly. Yeah, I love these stories though. Keep them coming. Keep them coming about how Democrats are going to keep the house. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little political buzz uh, on those on the, along those lines. So the Outside group, Club for Growth, just dropped uh, $2.5 million for Mike Lee in the Senate race here in Utah. At the same time, the Cook Political Report, which junkies like me follow because I think, they're, I think they do good stuff, and but they shifted the, uh, its rating, their rating for the contest from solid Republican to likely Republican. Now, this doesn't mean that he – I mean, this still means that they think he's very likely to win, but um, – but I guess they're saying that it's not an absolute guarantee. So McMullen entered uh, July with 1.3 million cash on hand. Mike Lee, he he's got uh, in July had two and a half million cash on hand. I mean, he actually started with more than double that. Uh, I was trying to look on the FEC website, but it's down or whatever, so I couldn't quite get the number. But I know that I think it was over six million that he raised. So I mean, it is a decent burn rate for for Mike Lee, although he he does, he obviously had serious primary challengers, and and McMullen basically got the cakewalk. But yeah, in any event, Todd, uh, does the Club for Growth ad buy give you any reason to doubt Mike Lee's likelihood of winning? Well, I think that it's belts and suspenders. I think Mike Lee would have won without that the the ad buy, but I think the ad buy all but guarantees it. And remember, Mike Lee, I don't believe, would have been elected to the Senate 12 years ago had it not been for Club for Growth. So he's been kind of yeah. tipped, uh, with them for from the get-go. Um, I think what's more interesting is 
you know, there, this big story dropped today, uh, Evan McMullen and his new wife were followed after a campaign appearance in St. George last April. They were followed by a, a guy in a truck who was threatening them, pointed a gun at Evan's wife, um, you know, was making uh, threatening comments to them. They called 911 as they were driving home. And this guy's been criminally charged. But what's interesting to me, Corey, is they saved this for four months and now yeah. they want to talk about it because right. it does make him a little bit more sympathetic. People will feel sorry for him. But I think uh, the timing that this story drops now, again, just six weeks before people are going to start voting with mail-in ballots, it, it makes me very, I, I don't doubt that it happened. I don't think he made this up. I just think it's very interesting that he doesn't talk publicly about it until just before ballots get mailed out. That's a great point. That is a great point about timing. And I also saw, uh, I mean, reports from people close to the Mike Lee campaign have said that this guy is actually McMullen's neighbor. He only lives a few houses down, potentially. If that's true, then there's probably much more to this story than just a guy who followed him, you know, on a campaign stop. But who knows? Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. Rumor. Well, and, there, uh, and, and let's be honest, there are crazy people and candidates, oh, yeah. uh, outspoken candidates. And we don't who, condone it in any way, shape or form. Nope, none nope. whatsoever. Like, none of that's appropriate. Don't believe it's appropriate to go to a candidate's house. Try to uh, follow them home. Scream yeah. or protest. Point a gun. Say, yeah. yeah. Say anything to their kids or say anything about their kids or to their family or to their spouse. All that off, completely off limits. But All of it's off limits. Anyway, back to uh, Club for Growth. I mean, hopefully uh, these are good ads that play uh, well in Utah because we know that outside groups don't always run ads that play well in Utah. Um, you know, they, they have ads that play well in Ohio and they're a little edgier. And here in Utah, we we're a little bit more passive aggressive than we are <laughs> forwardly sharp. In any event, I hope somebody's uh, stepping back and saying like, oh, you know what? This is a different state. So let's make sure that these are good ads that fit. So Evan McMullen uh, had an interview with the Salt Lake Tribune editorial board. And he covered some issues that just I think are worth talking about a little bit. So for starters, you know, he says he talked about gerrymandering. I mean, basically, he buys into this the dairy, the Democrat voter suppression narrative, something that's been completely discredited. I mean, the Georgia law, which which Biden and Democrats called Jim Crow 2.0, which was essentially more progressive and and uh and expansive than than the pre-covid laws in georgia you know following that following the end of democracy so to speak in jim crow 2.0 georgia had the largest democratic turnout in its entire history and and it seems like mcmullen agrees with that so that's a bummer next about our own redistricting process here in utah you know he's got to take the democratic line uh he says he wants to see federal uh the federal government step in and says that states have uh, have a role, but instead of having our our uh, our official our elected officials who are accountable to the voters draw the lines, he'd like to see the federal government do it. Which you know, as a practical matter, that would mean probably the Bi Biden's Office of Civil Rights is going to come in and draw our boundaries. So that's great. Or 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 Pelosi and Schumer. Yeah, or Pelosi and Schumer. Yeah. So thank. Yeah, that'd be great, McMullen. Then he tries to have it both ways on abortion, something we've talked about before. You know, he says that uh, he he does didn't want to see Roe v. Wade overturned, 
But of course, the editorial board doesn't push him on uh, like what he does support or what he doesn't support about Roe v. Wade. Um, so big surprise there. Goes on to criticize right wing, quote unquote, right wing attacks on critical race theory. So apparently he thinks those doctrines should be taught in school. And this is the one that uh, that really that really irked me and, and showed that that uh, that the Trib editorial board is only about puff pieces for this guy. Um, the Trib reported that uh, that he said in their in their interview, McMullen said that the Senate parliamentarian ensured that Evan McMullen would have committee assignments as an independent that doesn't caucus with either party. And guess what? The Senate parliamentarian has no such authority to do that. I mean, I'll spare you all the inside baseball, but the bottom line is the Senate decides the committee ratios and assignments. Each Congress, each new Congress, they vote on it, and it has to be voted on every time. So the parliamentarian plays no role in that, and there's no reason to think that either party would want him on committees unless he was going to caucus with them. So the truth is he would be left like homeless to wander around the, you know, the Senate office buildings with no committees. And I think it's, I think it's regrettable that even on something as simple as this, you couldn't fact check or at least ask him. And today I, I went back to the trip story to prepare for this and they changed it. <laughs> they erased any mention of the parliamentarian ensuring anything. I think probably because it didn't happen. I think the parliamentarian didn't ensure anything because the parliamentarian can't ensure anything of the sort. Yeah. Um, so I'm super glad that the, that they're covering for him. But in any case, uh, Todd, did you did you take a look at that or any any reflections on on the editorial board interview? Well, I, I think that the um, you know the 500 liberals in Salt Lake who read the Tribune editorials, you know, are probably even more sure today that they're going to vote for it <laughs> than they yeah. were, you know, three days ago. Um, and, and I'm not even really joking because, you know, you have to pay the pay, for the paywall now to even read the Tribune. And most people that read, they're reading the headlines. They're not reading, you know, the op-eds. Right, right. I don't, I, I feel sorry, Corey. I mean, if you are a living, breathing human being in Utah with a brain and you need the Salt Lake Tribune editorial board to tell you whether to vote for or against Mike Lee. I, I pity you. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you may be the most pathetic person in the world. So that's my thoughts. Uh, I don't disagree with that. I would have loved to have seen, you know, maybe, maybe a few hard questions. Like, I don't know, maybe a question about the 600 K that he owes to vendors. You know, maybe a question about the his donor, the left wing billionaires who've donated to his campaign. Yeah. You know, maybe the the self-dealing that's uh, with regard to his nonprofit, you know, like it, it seems like it's possible that he shuffled hundreds of thousands of dollars to his own account. I'm not saying it happened, but it's worth asking him about it. Those are only questions that they would ask him if he was a Republican running against an incumbent Democrat. That's right. That's exactly right. OK, that's it. That's our show. That's all we got for today. All right. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Todd. See you next time. See you time. next week.